This is our third Wednesday night. This is our new series. We're looking at the life of Moses and things that we can learn from his life. We don't set him up on a pedestal any more than, uh, than God would set him up in the sense that we ought to honor him and, and give respect and reverence to him and the faith he had and the way God used him. But at the same time, he was just a man like Elijah, like Moses, like David. He was a man who was a sinner in need of a Savior. And he trusted God and walked with God. And because he fully trusted with the Lord, God used him in an amazing way. So if you remember last week, y'all, we talked about, uh, we talked about in our second, second uh, Bible study on this subject, our sermon on this subject, we talked about the faith of Moses' parents, remember? And there's not a whole lot written in the Bible, but every part that is written about uh, Amram and Jochebed, that's the mother and father, father and mother of Moses. Everything we do know from Old Testament and New Testament references to them, it shows that they, they, had, they were trusting God. They believed in Jehovah, the God of Israel. They believed in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they trusted God. They trusted God with their, their son uh, to put him in the basket when he was born. And they evidently instilled that faith in God into Moses. Remember this, that we've read it the last two weeks. I'm not going to read it again, but if we look back in Genesis, I think in chapter 15, we see the covenant that God made with uh, Abraham, Abram at that time. The, all, all these other things, you know, that are fulfilled. I mean, Christ coming and the whole nation of Israel, none of that was in existence yet other than in God's mind and thought. And he chose Abraham because he chose him. He chose Israel, it says, because he, he chose him. He just did that. Well, the, the promise was that know of a surety that your, your people, your descendants, and this is when Abraham had no descendants, are going to be strangers, you know, captive and strangers in a strange land. And, and afterwards, I will visit them and bring them out of that place and bring them back to this place. And... Uh, after 400 years, he was very specific. And he says, I'll judge that nation that oppressed my people, your descendants. And I'm, of course, I'm paraphrasing it. It was that time. It, it was that time frame that Moses was born. So his parents, when so much of the, the so many of the Israelites have basically abandoned uh, the Lord, Jehovah, and, and turned to the gods of Egypt and the idols of Egypt. The Bible tells us that. I read two verses last week that referred to that. They, this couple did not. They, they kept holding on uh, to Jehovah and they kept holding on to that promise. And so that probably played a big role in how they, uh, what they did with their son when he was born. So I want us to read this because I keep talking about it, but I want to read it. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. And start reading with me in verse 5. I'm just going to kind of skip, skip down. This is after uh, the commandment from Pharaoh was if the Egyptian, I mean, if the Israelite, the Hebrews have, uh, when you see their women giving birth, okay, and the nursemaid going into them, you, you're watching actually when they give birth. It was the, the thing. If it's, a, if it's a male, kill it. And it's heartless. It's cruel. It's, not a, it's satanic. Okay? If it's, if it's a male, kill it. Throw it in the river. 
If it's a female, let it live. Okay? And so that was the commandment for all of Israel because this new Pharaoh that had come around many years later, not the Pharaoh that welcomed Jacob and Joseph served as prime minister in his court. Uh, this was a new Pharaoh that didn't know uh, Jacob or Joseph or any of those people. He just looked at them as could be trouble. The Hebrews are strong. They're blessed. They're multiplying. Uh, they're going to outnumber us soon here. And if we ever get in a fight with our enemies, they might likely join with our enemies. So we got to control them. And so that was the plan. So Moses' mother and father, when he was born, they hid him three months before they did anything. They came to a point where he was getting too, I'm sure, loud, rambunctious, big. It was getting impossible to hide him anymore. And so we looked at this last week. We're just going to trust him to God. Not whatever happens, happens. But they were really trusting, I believe, God to take care of him. Okay, so that's why. And so she made this little thing out of the, the bulrushes from the river. A little basket or ark. Okay, pitched it with slime and like to make it watertight. And she put Moses, the baby, in it and put him in the, the edge of the river. In verse 4, and his sister stood afar off. This is Miriam to wit what, what would be done to him. And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river. And her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him. Well, it was the Lord that had her to have compassion on him. Her attitude could have been different and say, oh, look, they're trying to usurp the king's authority and get away with something. But she, instead, she had compassion. And she had, she had compassion and she said, this is one of the Hebrew children. So she was aware of what was going on. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter. So Miriam, who's watching to see what's going on, is standing by and she looks at Pharaoh's daughter who pulled the basket out and says, shall I go and call thee a nurse of the Hebrew women that they may nurse, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. So Miriam goes and gets mama. Okay. And, and mama shows up and Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, take this child away and nurse it for me and I will give thee thy wages and the woman took the child and nursed it. Now all I can say about that is when you really sit back and think about it, it's who but God. Who could even think of that? The whole scenario. The babies are to be killed. It's not killed. We're going to put it in a basket and trust God. Pharaoh's daughter pulls it out of the water, has compassion, needs somebody to nurse the child, and they get the, the child's own mother to raise it and to pay her. Gave her wages for it. Who, who could think of that? You know what that's showing? The Bible says that unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That is God. And I would not, that would enter my mind. It would be like, Lord, maybe, you know, spare the child. That would be in my mind. Have mercy somehow. Do something. But the way it was orchestrated through that day, the child's brought back to the mother to raise it. I mean, it's just, it's just nothing but the Lord. Okay, and this, this happened. Uh, 
because this is what God wanted to happen. Now, how long uh, the mother nursed baby Moses, we don't know. There's no real time that we're given. But a lot of Bible scholars that I've studied think maybe four to five years, somewhere around there. And so, but it was long enough to, to uh, I guess you would say, instill, even in that little young child, an understanding and a belief in Jehovah. That the God of the Hebrews is God. The God of the Hebrews, His name is Jehovah. He's the one that came and appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and made a covenant. We're, we're His people. He has a plan for us. And so even as a young child, um, this was instilled into them. And so I just want to encourage you again. I know I mentioned it last week. You mothers and fathers, um, don't think that your children are too young to tell them about the Lord. I know mentally, okay, they can't grasp everything. But God can minister to them. God can make Himself known to them in whatever capacity He chooses. I would pour the Lord into them. The music that you play around the house. Let them hear you singing to Jesus around the house and in the car. Let them hear you praying to God. Talking to them about the Lord. Leave it up to God what they grasp. And what, what's going into their minds and hearts. You be faithful to pour the Lord into them. That is very important. Just don't assume, well, you know, when they hit, and you, we would pick some arbitrary age, when they hit eight, I'll really get serious with them about the Lord. Or when they hit 10 or 12 or whatever. No, you pour it in, pour Christ into them at every waking moment, okay? And, and pray over them when they're sleeping. And just trust God. To be able to do what he can do. And so, uh, whenever the time arrived, Moses was given back to Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, Pharaoh's daughter, the Josephus. We, we, I, get some, I got some of these facts historically, not from the Bible, from a, but from a Jewish historian who was not a believer, by the way, uh, named Josephus. And he said that her name, Pharaoh's daughter, was named Thermutus, if I'm pronouncing that right. And she took, took her, Moses to be her son. And I'm sure that was painful and all that, but, but it was that time she took him. And now uh, Josephus said that he had become so beautiful to look at that people would stop and look at Moses. Now that's a historical thing that's written in a record. So he must have been this very good-looking guy that people would stop and take note of. His name... Moses' name is mentioned 813 times in the Bible. He is what's obviously important in, in the Lord's plan. But he was such a humble man and, and a holy man separated unto God. But I want to talk about this whole thought that when Moses came to years, the Bible says, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So we're going to talk about tonight. I want to lay a little little groundwork, and we won't have to keep going back over that. But just understand that everything that would have been the best of the best, and the most prominent, powerful, rich, wealthy, uh, sophisticated at that time country on the planet, would have been at Moses' disposal. It would have been there for the taking. Not only did he live, live in Egypt, but he lived as Pharaoh's daughter grandson basically 
in Egypt. That's how he was raised. He was just no ifs, ands, or buts. He was brought up that way. The, uh, the culture, the art, the education, everything was there, the wealth. And he, it was all there at his fingertips. He was educated. We know that because Stephen says this. He says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. Stephen also says, this is from Acts chapter 7, 22, uh, he was mighty in words and in deeds. So this is more. And this is his life as an Egyptian, basically. He was a Hebrew, but his Egyptian life. And uh, he was raised in the, the university that was later called the Oxford of ancient Egypt. So he would have been brilliant. He would have had the best of everything and the best of education. That's important, as you're going to see in just a little bit, in just a few minutes. He was also actually a soldier as well, because Josephus also says this. There was a time when the Ethiopians invaded Egypt and they they quickly won some victories like they they pressed in real quickly and took over some little towns real quickly. The Ethiopians did. And the Egyptians got a little bit afraid because they were marching on Memphis, which was the big city. You know, they're about to take our main city. And it was said by Josephus in the, in the records that the Egyptians called on Moses to lead the Egyptian army. I did not know this stuff until I started studying. And he rallied the troops. He went out and he won a victory. And he came back a hero. So picture Moses, this deliverer of Israel, went being an Egyptian commanding officer, and he's coming back. This was in his early manhood, okay? His early manhood. And he came back with all the spoils of victory, like what he took from the Ethiopians. So he came back welcomed as in, in that sense and greeted in, in that sense. So there was nobody more popular, you know, or prominent. Everybody knew Moses in the country of Egypt. And... Uh, beneath all this, though, it becomes evident as we read through Exodus that he was always present within his heart. He knew who he was. Even, even in the midst of all the other stuff going on, he knew that my parents are slaves. I'm part of a slave race. Uh, I'm part of a, a race that, uh, that my parents taught me about, the God Jehovah, the God of Israel. And that was still part of him. And he could no longer um, be called Pharaoh's daughter or grand, grand, you know, grandson. I mean, he could no longer be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, there came a point where he couldn't do it any longer. And I want you to read back with me in Hebrews chapter 7. This is the specific verse. I'm sorry, Hebrews eleven twenty four. 24. So we read about the faith of his parents in verse 23. In verse 24, by faith, Moses. Now, this is his own faith. He's standing on his own two feet. When he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, this is an amazing, to me, it's one of the most amazing choices or decision that's ever been made. It really is. I know to choose Christ is the biggest decision we would ever make, right? In life, I choose to serve the Lord. But this was him choosing Christ, but knowing even in his earthly life what it was going to be like. It really, it really is an amazing thing. And I'm, we're going to look at his decision. What went into his decision? Why was it so profound, powerful? 
um, the ramifications that came from it and so forth. It was made when he was in his full maturity. In other words, he was, he was not just um, swept up in like youth emotions. You know how people can go join the Communist Party when they're 18 or something or 20 years old and they're young and they're idealistic or something like that and they, they want to go do this, they want to go do that and they might just in their youthful passion go throw their, themselves into something. This was not the case with Moses. Okay, He, he made this uh, not an impulsive way but a very uh, knowing and educated, I guess you would say, calculated way. Counted the cost, so to speak. Um, and there was, it was deliberate. It was a man who was in full maturity and age and so forth. And he had nothing at all. You have to look at this in an earthly sense. In a spiritual sense, this is different. But in an earthly sense, he had nothing to gain by that choice. What choice? The choice that we just read in Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that's a choice, right? He had nothing in an earthly sense to gain from that. Nothing. Zero. And he had everything to lose. He stepped down, if you want to picture it, stepped down from the loftiest or the highest position in Egypt right on down the steps, all the way down. He kept going. Are you going to keep going, Moses? All the way down, all the way down to a slave. And it was a willing choice that he made. He just kept going down. Kept going down the steps or going down the ladder. From the throne, it would have been his. All the Bible scholars says that would have been his throne at some point. And he stepped down to being a slave. It was made when the decision was made at a time when Israel was at their lowest. So that's another thing, the key ingredient. Israel was at their lowest. They weren't always slaves in Egypt, but they were at this time. And they weren't just slaves, they were grievous. And Pharaoh was just cranking up the heat more and more and making it more difficult on them. And having the children killed and all that types of things that were going on. It was, it was made at a time when he was uh, the lowest of all. And I just want to read some, some comments here from F.B. Meyer. He says, For a palace, he would have a hut. For luxury, he would have hard and coarse food. For respect and honor, he would have hatred and contempt. For the treasures of Egypt, he would have poverty and want. For the society of the learned and elite, he would be associated with the ignorant and depraved. But none of these things moved him. He counted them all as small as dust in the balance. And with deliberate resolution, he bowed his head beneath the yoke and, and joined himself to the people of God. And I do, I do think that's amazing. I think the choice itself is something that we ought to take note of. Because a lot of times we'll make, and I know this is an unusual circumstance, don't get me wrong, but all of us in a sense have a similar choice to make. Uh, a lot of times we'll make life, you know, to the, to the lost person, we'll present Christ as just, this is just such a wonderful, light, fluffy, fun thing. You know, it's like going to Disneyland or something to serve Jesus. And just, He just wants to bless you and give you sweet dreams. And there's no cost to it. And there's no, uh, there's no price to be paid. 
There's no requirements that God demands. Now we're saved freely by His grace. That is true. It is a free gift of God. But to live for God in a world that doesn't know Him and hates Him and crucified Him, that's difficult. And the choice has to be made. And the choice has to be made not out of youthful passion and ignorance. I'm just going to go take the world for Jesus. But sometimes people will do that and six months later or a year later, they're back in the world because they didn't have a clue what they were getting into and they didn't know the Word of God and somebody didn't tell them just right what it was going to cost. The Bible says count the cost. Jesus says if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And sometimes we just present it. I don't think we should make it harder than it is. And I don't think we should make it easier than it is. I think we should just make it what it is. What the Bible says. Okay? It's wonderful. It's awesome. You can't talk too much about it. Um, about the grace of God and the mercy. And there's nothing you can do to earn it. And it's all a free gift. Yes, yes, and yes. Just say I do to the Lord and mean it. Turn your life over to Him and He will save you. But now He called, he called men to be disciples, not converts. He didn't call us to be converts. He called us to be disciples. And the disciple is not above his master. Okay? Or, or you know, and, and the servant's not about, above his Lord. And so uh, if they mistreated Jesus and, and abused him and hated him and despised him and put him on a cross and said, We don't want this man to rule over us. Jesus said, they're going to treat my followers this way as well. It's not to put fear in people. It's so that people understand. We need Jesus. I need to hang on to Him morning, noon, and night. I better grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I better be filled with the Spirit because He tells me it's not by might nor by power, but by, by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I better learn to love Jesus and hang on to Him because He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We're more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So the fear would be a holy fear and reverence of God that ought to drive us to, if we're going to make it, we're going to make it with God. We're not going to make it any other way. And so this choice, I want to talk about it a little bit more. It was made in full maturity. It was made when Israel was at its lowest point. It was made when the pleasures of sin for Moses would have been at their greatest. So there couldn't have been a greater difference between uh, Israelites and their pitiful, harsh, meager slavery that they were living in, and the royalty and the fluff and the wealth and the education and the culture and the music and everything that went with Egypt, that, like I said, there was his disposal. So Israel, I mean, Egypt was at its pinnacle, the very top of how they were going to be as a country. And Israel would have been at their very lowest. And he's making the choice. And so again, it's part of it, part of what's going on. And uh, the Bible says, let's keep reading if you're still in Hebrews. Choosing rather, verse 25, to suffer affliction. This was the choice. I'm choosing to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Remember, we ought to memorize this. We ought to know this story about Moses in, this, and in Hebrews 11, what it's talking about. Uh, y'all, there, there was... 
Um, it's, it's actually ridiculous to say that sin has no pleasure. You know, you'll, people, you'll, you might hear some, some Christians say that sin has no temptation to me at all and there's no pleasure in sin. There is pleasure in sin. But it's a lie. It's, a, it's not what it represents itself to be. There's a deceitfulness of sin, the Bible says. And there is a very temporary fleeting pleasure of sin that leaves you far worse than you were before you committed the sin. You see the little trinket, right? The little gold trinket that Satan's dangling in front of you on a stick. And you say, just this once or I want to try that. You know it's not of God. I'm talking to Christians. And you try it and you know it. You knew it before, but you're temporarily insane is the way I put it. And we do it. And then we're left and say, there was pleasure in it for a season, just for a moment, but it's not worth it. It's not worth the remorse and the guilt and the shame and hurting my Savior who died for me and setting me back, stunning my own spiritual growth. Can God forgive me? Will God forgive me? Absolutely. A thousand times a thousand. He'll forgive me. It's not the question. The question is, it doesn't honor God. It's bringing heartache and ruin to my own soul. It's not of the Lord. So it would be a lie to say there's no pleasure in sin. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Temptation would have no power at all if there was no pleasure in sin. It would have no power. Temptation would be utterly powerless if there wasn't something about it that was appealing and pleasurable. Okay? Uh, And it's the little pleasure that's the bait. But a bait, if you've ever been fishing, has has a hook in it. Okay? The bait's not just tied on the end of a string where the fish can. You're not feeding the fish. You're trying to catch the fish. And so there's a hook in it. The bait is the pleasure of sin. But there's a hook that Satan has put there. And he wants to get you. And the hook hooks you. And it pulls you. It'll take you places you didn't want to go in the first place. I just wanted to do this. And you find yourself here. I didn't plan on sharing this tonight, but I know personally a man in the context of church and Christianity from 35 years okay, ago. And this man was married and a believer. And he, he got... Well, I have two stories. And I'm going to just share one. He got addicted to pornography somehow or another. Just going to dabble in it a little bit and look into that. And he ended up literally in a mental institution. He went from married, and I'm not saying he was a strong Christian or anything like that, but a believer, to to being in a mental institution. I know of a person who, uh, who believed in God, trusted God, and... Somebody convinced them, adult, I mean, grown, grown up, you know, not just some little college or teenager in their adult life. Somebody talked them into taking crack cocaine when crack was big and just hitting the streets, so to speak. <clears throat> he had never done it before and he did it once. And then he finds himself like, you know, strung out and, and just starts a whole downward spiral. And he's going from a rehab place to rehab place to, to nothing. To his family don't know where he is. To, to everything. 
a spiral. God was merciful to him and kept him. He's still the Lord's. But the point is, there's, there is pleasure in sin for a season. Maybe it feels great to take that drug for an hour. Maybe the feeling that you get for it. I don't know. Praise God. Uh, but, but there's a hook in it. And so that's what's being spoken of here in Hebrews where Moses made his choice. Israel, I mean, Egypt was at its pinnacle. He could have anything and everything, food, and just everything he wanted. And he makes a choice when all this is at its most tempting and most brilliant, okay? And Israel is at their lowest. And his parents and all that's at their lowest. And he makes the choice, okay? And the last thing I'm going to talk about uh, just on this choice he made, it was made decisively. And I think this is very important. What I mean by decisively, I mean there was no floundering or wavering. We don't ever see after he chose to make to walk down the stairs, and that's my little paraphrase, from the throne to the slavery, to the people of God. We don't see where he ran back up a couple of steps and looked back and, you know, let me let me get halfway back up. And it was none of that. And again, that speaks to my heart. It speaks to my life. When we make a decision for Christ, make a decision for Christ. Or don't make a decision for Christ. This halfway stuff doesn't cut it. Old Testament, New Testament, at no point does a halfway decision for the Lord cut it. We've talked about it. You're lukewarm. I'll spew you out of my mouth. Uh, the, the, when Jesus had 70 disciples and, and you know, 58 of them left and after he preached his sermon about who doesn't eat my flesh and drink my blood, he spoke about it. My, my blood is, I'm the bread of life. I'm giving my life for the sins of the world. They didn't understand. It's a hard saying. Who can keep it? Who can know it? Are you offended at this? They left. But they had followed him for a long time. A lot longer than most people. They came to some point where they didn't follow the Lord anymore. I just think it'd be better to make a good educated, I mean spiritually educated decision to live for God than a halfway decision and get down the road and say, you know, I didn't count on this. And the same thing with the parable of the seed and the sower. It said they gladly with the anon, it says that in the, in the, the uh, I guess that's Greek anon, they received the, the, the word gladly. And, but by and by they were offended because of the word's sake. And it, they were scorched by the heat. They did have fruit. It, I mean, not fruit, they did have life. It popped up, the little seedling of their hearts, of the gospel of Jesus Christ, did have life. It wasn't just totally trashed and thrown away in the gutter. It was fell on their hearts. It brought forth some kind of life. But by and by, for the word's sake, they were offended. And they said, this is, this is offended. People are mocking me. People are ridiculing me. I didn't count on it being like this. I didn't count on my friends leaving me. I didn't count on my brothers and sisters leaving me. In those days, I didn't count on the synagogue kicking me out and kicking me out of Jewish life. I didn't count on that. And, and it says it shriveled up. The sun withered it. It came to naught. Okay? It's better to make an educated decision and really choose Christ. And I think it would be actually better to do that and it would be better to, make, to not choose Christ than to choose Christ before you know what you're doing. Because you're not really choosing Christ. You're choosing some ideal that you think it's going to be, and it's not really that. 
That's what I mean by that. Certainly it's better to choose the Lord. But uh, people need to know what, what they're doing. And we need to know what we're doing when it comes to serving God. And so he made it decisively. And I like that, uh, this thought. He didn't try to keep on good terms with Pharaoh and with uh, Osiris, who was the big god, idol god of Egypt at the time, and the, all the royalty of Egypt. He didn't try to say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to, I'm gonna help, try to have the best of both worlds. I'm going to go tell my Hebrew people that I really love them and just hang on, I'm coming to help you. And I'm going to tell them, I'm really not making any drastic decision, Pharaoh. I'm just trying to be a mediator here and, and still want to live in a nice house and you know what I mean, have nice food and have all the same rich, wealthy, prominent, powerful friends over here. And besides, you know what? Maybe God could really use my rich, powerful friends to help these poor lowly Hebrews. Think about it. Don't people do that? Don't we do that? I want to use my position and uh, my prominence and my power. I'm going to try to keep on good terms with both. Elijah didn't do that, did he? Elijah lived, he stood before the Lord, the God before whom I stand continually. So he had no fear of the king. He had no strings attached to King Ahab. So he could confront Ahab. He could be used by God to be a man separated unto God with no strings attached. He's not going to compromise with Ahab because he stood before God. And there's a real danger in that type of life. I'm not saying if you have wealthy, prominent friends that you have to abandon them. I'm saying we don't rely upon that. We're not... Uh, we're not glued to that. And if God calls us to leave them and give that up, maybe there's a whole life that goes with it. Nice cars and homes and money and the circles of people I used to travel in. If God calls me, and that's what I'm saying, it's the Lord, not me. I'm not putting it on you or you don't put it on me. But if God calls you to leave that because it's sin, it, they, they don't want Christ. They don't know Christ. They don't want to know Christ. Uh, whatever the reason may be, if God calls you to separate from that, then we need to separate from that. Moses made his decision very decisively. It was the Hebrew slaves, believe it or not, when they got hungry out in the wilderness, said, we want to go back to Egypt. At least we had garlics and fish and stuff like that to eat, to eat there. Moses never said that, did he? He had had the finest food in all the world, probably. When he was there, he had no longing for it at all. There was the slaves saying, at least we had a little fish and... Some, you know, something to eat there. Uh, he made a very decisive choice. I think every believer, not only to choose Christ, but at different points in our lives, have those decisions to make that I'm going to go on with God. And I shared it Sunday a little bit, uh, this past Sunday, that you know, there's that big decision where we choose Christ at salvation. Biggest and best ever. Amen? But after that, you might have one or two or three, I don't know what the number, other times in your life where it's like you're going here, walking along with the Lord, and God says, I want you to leave this stuff behind. I want you to go on a little further. You know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night that Jesus was going to be arrested, he took his, all the disciples went to pray, but he went a little further, didn't he? It says about a stone's throw. He went a little further. He took Peter and James and John with him a little further, then he himself went a little further. And I know that's just physically a little distance, 
I think it's representative as well of where he was going, the commitment he was making to the cross. He sweated drops of blood. The others didn't. Okay? They fell asleep. Even the best of them fell asleep. I probably would have fallen asleep too. But the point is, he's calling us to go further. And I can remember, and I've shared my testimony at LSU about being saved and God calling me to go on. And I left all my friends, all of them, in one day, in one moment. I didn't say, I hate you, I call you up, and I'm not going to be your friend anymore. I just knew where they were spiritually and where God was calling me to be spiritually. And that was it. No more football games, no more hanging out with them, no more nothing. It was like that day to the next day, I'm going on with God. He called me. There had to be a separation. See these rockets go off in, in stages and then part of it falls off and part of it falls off and you're left with a little module going up to the moon with the people in it. They don't need that booster anymore. The thing that carried the fuel. They're through with that now. It falls off. And I remember even when I, when I committed my life fully to the Lord and was baptized in the Holy Ghost in church, I had peers in church. I wasn't married at that time. And this is the first few Weeks probably. You know what? I, there's something that sticks with me even then. I noticed when I looked around, and I was new to this. I was new to being sold out to God. It was new to me. I was glad it was new. I was like a little kid in a candy store. I was excited about Jesus and the Bible. Oh, I can tell somebody else about Jesus? This is awesome. I can serve God. You need help with the church? I'll do that. I was excited about everything about the Lord. It was a whole new life. And I'm glad that that one was gone. Okay, still love those people, but I even realized with peers, like Christian peers, people my age, they only wanted it. Some of them only wanted to go this far. And I made my new Christian life. Okay, here's my new Christian friends now. This is all wonderful. And you know what I quickly learned? Some of them didn't want to go any further. That kind of surprised me. But I remember I made a choice real quick. I mean, it wasn't some month long thing. You know what? This is my new Christian friends. They're willing to stop here. I'm going on. I got a whole lot further to go. Don't get me wrong, but I just remember making that choice. I'm going on, and even even these other Christians are not to be. God says they're not your role models. They're Christians. I love them, but they're not your role models. They're not your standard. They're not the one who's called you to this life. I've called you to this life. And I'm calling you on real quick. It wasn't a long, drawn-out thing. I'm going on past, not past them in the sense like I'm better than them. They were content living in this level of worldliness or service to God, and I was not. It was a moment where I could have put it in neutral as a Christian, just idled it down. Let me sit, let me hang with these. This is not my lost worldly friends. Or going out drinking at the bar tonight. These are my Christian friends at my church in a spirit-filled church, and they're right here. I'm gonna just idle it down to right here. And God said, "No, nope, you're not. You're not going to." And I said, "No, but I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm going on with you." And I'm so glad I did. And there's so many of y'all probably have far out outpaced me. That's not the point. The point is when God deals with you. Uh, there are times, landmark times in our life we make choices. That's why I love this choice of Moses. When I look at all of it, and all that went into the choice, and all the temptations, and all the decisions, and all it would cost him, it was an amazing choice. One of the most amazing choices a human being 
to me, has ever made that we have the record to read about it and see. It really is something. It sounds like a novel or a movie, but it was a real man of flesh and blood like you and me. And so uh, he was laying aside, he was laying aside the, the things of, of this world for the things of God. Okay, a heart loyalty to Jehovah. And guess what? That just took precedence over everything. Everything. A heart loyalty to Jehovah. And everything else falls aside. What about this, Moses? This is pretty important. Not compared to the Lord. My personal devotion to the Lord and knowing Him and walking with Him, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't compare. And that's what he said. He didn't esteem those things. He esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And so what is he doing? He's choosing a set of a smooth path, a, a rocky path, and all, all the things. And, and we see the same thing that it's like Abraham offering up Isaac. That was a choice he had to make. A choice he had to make for full devotion to Jehovah. Right? God required that of him. And he did that. Uh, we see Jesus choosing Gethsemane and Calvary and the grave. He chose it. Not my will, but thy will be done. And so what we do as believers, we're choosing to identify ourselves with a man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. That's what Jesus has called his earthly life. We're choosing now. I'm going to identify myself with him. And y'all, it's not a foolish decision. It's not stupid because we know the story. We know the truth from Genesis to Revelation. To the world, it looks idiotic. They hate it. They think you're stupid. They think you're foolish. And they hate it. On top of it, they hate what you stand for. And it's lonely. No Dia shared with me, probably not with a whole lot of people. She was serving God way before I was serving God. But in high school... It was lonely. She's in a big public high school serving God. Now she wasn't perfect, but she wasn't one of those that had this backsliding thing for five years and came out. She just stayed walking with the Lord the whole time. It was lonely. It's lonely to, to live for God in the midst of people that don't want to live for God. Even within a church, it can be lonely when God has called you to, a, to holiness and you know that. And there's people around you that do not desire that at this point in their lives. I pray that they will, but it can be lonely. It can be lonely, but God is more than the, the makeup for that. Okay. Now I'm going to be closing with this. How did he do it? The Bible says by faith, he refused. Faith lays hold on a promise. We did our whole series of faith. Faith is not. You just picking what you want and saying, God, do it. I'm writing a fairy tale life for myself. God, you said we get whatever we ask. But we didn't read the whole Bible. Okay? Faith does not do that. Abraham did not do that. He believed God's promise to him. That's what Abraham believed. And you and I, faith, what faith does is it lays hold on the promise. He knew, Moses knew the children of Israel were coming out. It wasn't a maybe. No of a surety that after 400 years, I'm going to bring my people out. So Moses knows it's a promise from God. And faith will feed on that 
And faith will rest on that. And faith will lay hold on that. And you know what faith does? Faith enjoys it. And it doesn't even matter that, the, that it hasn't been fulfilled yet. Because if God promised it, it's as good as fulfilled. Now that's an amazing thing. Anybody can rejoice once they get it. Once, bam, I got my son, or I got my healing, or I got the wealth, or the job, or the spouse I wanted, or whatever. But faith lays holds on it and can actually walk in it and enjoy it and blow everything else off and hold on to the promise of God and walk with a real confidence and peace in their heart and joy because it's as good as mine. It is mine because of the one who promised it. That's how Moses did it. Okay? It wasn't uh, provided yet, but God, he knew it was coming. There was a fervent belief in the Lord. He had, uh, had Moses just acted, I'm closing with this thought, if Moses just acted on what he saw, he would have never done that, would he? He would have never stepped out of Pharaoh's house and gone to be with some oppressed slaves and identify himself with them if he only acted on what he saw. But Hebrews 11 starts out by, but faith is the, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He knew the promise of God. It's no different for us now, y'all. That, that part, that's why there's so many similarities. That part is no different. Faith is still the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We look at this book right here, and the Holy Ghost takes what we read and the promises for my life and for the people of God and so forth, and He takes them from the black and white ink of the paper, and He puts them on our heart, and we lay hold on it, and we live for that, and we die by that. And nothing else moves us but that. That's where we need to be. That's why I admire Moses so much. He was unwavering. He was definitive. He decisive. He made his choice. He went with God. And he held on to the promise. And we're still talking about him today. Still talking about him. And then actually look forward to that. Look forward to the uh, suffering with Christ and the reproach that comes with that is more valuable than all the blessings and benefits of the world. To be counted worthy to suffer with Him. It says in Philippians, that on behalf of, it's given unto us on behalf of Christ to suffer with Him. It's a gift that's given to us that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering. What God has in in a and then don't ever forget this, y'all. Moses knew it too. The Lord would be with him every step of the way. Every step down the ladder, okay? Every step when, when God started using him to bring them out through the wilderness, God would be with him. And that's why he said, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't want to go. Don't send us if you're not with us. He knew he was going to be with us. Uh, knew he was going to be with him. Y'all, the same for us. Christ suffered and he has walked this lonely road. On this earth as a man, he suffered like no one else. He's been rejected like no one else. But we are bearing that reproach. So the last thought I'm, I'm thinking of is that he knows every step of the way. I say, well, Lord, it's so hard. It is lonely. I don't think I could take another day. Give me some equally yoked, like-minded believer in my life. Uh, and I don't know if I can take anymore. He knows what that's like. 
He's already walked the path that you're on through this life. He knows what it's like. And He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And He's going to strengthen us all the way. We're following in His steps. That's what the Bible says. We're just following in His steps. And He's with us all the way. And all of the exodus of a nation and all of the, the uh, moving from slavery to free men and being the people of God that He wanted them to be all came through Moses' decision. And we're just going to be reading about it in the weeks and months ahead, studying it more and more. I just want to close with that, with that thought. That is an amazing choice, isn't it, y'all? Let's just think about it for a little while. I don't know where everybody is. You might be at one of those crossroads right now. You might be at a place right now in your life to where you're saved, but you're saying, I'm going to put it in neutral and just kind of fall back right here. Or I'm going to go on and be obedient to God what He's called me to do. There's a lot out there, guys. In Christ, I'm talking about. A lot of blessings, a lot of things that God has for us that we'll never know. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. If you're saved, you're saved. But if He's calling you on to something deeper than where you are, count the cost. Go on with the Lord. Trust Him. Well, I'm going to lose these friends. Well, then you'll gain some more. You'll gain Christ, the friend who sticks closer than brother even more. He'll send what you need. You'll learn to know Him more. You'll learn Him more. You'll learn to walk with Him more. I'll be the only one at my school that lives this way. Then be the only one at your school that lives that way. We're not talking about all Moses' friends today. We're talking about Moses today. Because God used him. Because he made that choice. The other ones are kind of forgotten about, right? And are washed down away somewhere. But I want to be one of those, for God's sake, that lives for him and with him. And there's a great excitement and joy that comes in that kind of life. Father, we love you today. Y'all know it's a little bit long tonight, but just before we leave, just um, take some time with the Lord. Thank the Lord that He's walked and traveled this road already. He's not a stranger to it. He's acquainted with our grief and acquainted with our sorrows. He's a man of sorrows. And He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you long with you always, even unto the ends of the world, ends of the earth. God, we want to go on with You and not fear the wrath of the King. Not fear the rejection of men. Not fear uh, a harder life in place of an easier life. A rougher road instead of a smooth, easy road. Help us like Moses to esteem the reproaches of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. Or the greater riches uh, than the treasures of our day. And esteem You greater than all of that. Knowing You and walking with You in good times and bad times. Bless us, Lord, this little handful of people here today. Would You move us on? Lord, please don't let us be content with where we are. From the youngest child in here to the oldest saint in here, would You move us on to whatever You have for us next? If You didn't have something for us next on this earth, we'd already be in heaven. So there's something more on this earth you have for us as your children individually and as a church we want that God and we count the cost and we say yes to the Lord 
and we want to go on in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord.